podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hi, this is James. And Jane. And we are back again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. Yes, we are. Which is just like we won't go away. I know. It's funny, isn't it? It just keeps on going. Mm-hmm. Um, so how's your week been? What have you been up to, Jane? So I thought I knew what I was going to say, and I've just remembered something else. <laughs> okay. I passed my first MSc oh, module. yeah, of course you yeah, did. So I'm excellent. super excited. Uh, oh, well so that's a personal thing that I've had that I would love to pretend I wasn't excited, but after 22 years out of education, I was really excited. It's such a big step. That's fantastic. It is. So I'm super chuffed, and I got a really good mark, so oh, great. well chuffed about great, that. Great, great, great. Um, what else has been going on? Two really exciting things. One, we started to get some really good engagement um, with other professionals in this space who are interested in what we're talking about. Yeah. So we've got a couple of guest speakers I'm having some yeah. conversations about, which is really exciting. It's great when people reach out, isn't it? It's just really... Oh, it's the most lovely yeah, thing. Yeah, it feels really good. Um, yeah. And also really interesting topics that I hadn't really... I kind of... I know we talked about really early doors, but it's stuff that we maybe are interested in but aren't experts at. Yeah. So when someone comes and says, oh, I'm really interested in this and this is my main focus... Do you want? Do you want to maybe have a conversation about it? Then I get really excited because I'm like, yeah, I'd far rather talk to someone who knows loads about yeah, it than have yeah. to do all the things myself. Yeah, so super excited about that. And then I am also super super excited about the fact that you and I had a really cool conversation last week, um, yeah. and we are beginning to look at what else we might do together. Yeah, that's exciting, isn't it? I mean, this has been a great sort of practice for us in working together and seeing what we're doing. And yeah, then... saying it out loud makes me realise how weirdly meta that is and how <laughs> it is a little bit, slightly it? confusing it is. But effectively, we are quite enjoying uh, recording this, I think. Yeah, right? I, I am. Yeah. I'm super enjoying it. Uh, I don't know why I've developed the thing for super today. Super. Uh, but I'm it's really enjoying word. it, so I think... Um, we're exploring where else uh, we might be able to collaborate, which is yeah. super cool. Yeah, very exciting. So I've had a really good week. Great, that's really good. Um, my week's been pretty good, but a bit mixed. So from a sort of a work perspective, it's been really good. I've had some great conversations with people about future work and also a couple of really good coaching conversations. Um, you know, with some clients that I've really enjoyed. You're beginning to really enjoy that role as coach. Well, yeah. Um, and obviously some sessions are better than others, but I've had a couple where it's just felt both really helpful for, for our clients, um, but also enjoyable for me. I like to do things that I feel confident at, and it, it, you know, I'm very much present and in the moment, and it's supportive of the person I'm working with, and that, that feels good. It feels like things are coming together, and I'm focusing and kind of in flow and helping people, and, I'm, and I like the that. Flow. In are the flow. Are we going to talk about flow working at some yeah, point? Yeah, we've obviously. got flow. We've got it. Um, in another episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's great, but at a personal level, we've had... Um, you know, somebody I know has been uh, scheduled to have a, an operation and that's been going on for a little while and was rescheduled a few times. So I've done a lot of driving around um, and visiting people and just trying to keep everything on the road with that. So that's a bit harder. Um, but at the same time, it's really good to be able to help people, right? I mean, you don't always have the chance to, to reach out and help people. So um, so that's been pretty rewarding. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. I've, um, I've mentioned to you before, I've got parents who are of an age yeah. where they're more likely to not be so well uh, some of the time and I've really part of my goal setting this year was was deliberately leaving enough space and time to yeah. travel down to London to yeah. see them because 
They are infinitely, infinitely more happy about seeing me now than they were 20 years ago. Yes. They're so pleased to see me. And, yeah, you know, yeah. why wouldn't I do that then, right? Yeah, it's great. So, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice, you know. Make time when you can. I think it's because I don't bring my washing anymore. <laughs> you probably actually have I haven't done that for 20 years. You're, you're like, you're a net asset now as opposed to... I am a net asset. I will say that to my mother next time I see her. She'd yeah, just make agree. sure she, she thinks it's a positive thing as opposed to a negative one. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. So it's been a good time. I'm excited about some of the stuff we're looking at as well. So I think that's good. Um, in terms of what we're doing, should we tell people we're um, we're into series three now, right? So so this is episode one of series three, and our first two series were, um, you know, were were less related in terms of content than they. Are could you be. suggesting they might have been a bit scattergun in their approach? Well, I was trying to be. More, uh, for those for those who don't know, the reason that we did the topics we did in the first two series predominantly was because they were really interesting to us yeah, personally. Yeah, And also we thought they kind of laid some foundations yeah, about yeah. some of the stuff. They're fairly early. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. And to be honest, when we started, we didn't know we'd be doing a series three. Um, but now I'll we be are. honest, I'm quite impressed we got past episode three. Never, <laughs> yeah. never mind series three. If people are still listening by the time yeah. this goes out, I will be delighted. Exactly. Can um, you let me know, in fact, <laughs> if you have actually stayed with us on this journey, can you please tweet us at the Wow Podcast? Yeah, that would be good. Um, so what we decided, we, we spent some time last week, we went for a long walk and did a bit of a sort of feedback and review. And we thought it would be good if we tried to have series three be a bit more structured and thematic. So what we've decided is that our future series, that's some optimism there, at least series three is going to include six episodes. So we're going to shrink the series size, but we're going to bring in a theme for it. And series three is going to be about uh, effectively behavior and motivation. Right? We think that's a really interesting topic and we think there are some, some good underlying uh, subjects we can have in there. So we're, we're kind of excited to do it as a thematic piece. Um, we're going to be looking at some sort of academic thinking in there, some practical advice and trying to bring it all together into um, a, a sort of body of work that's, uh, that's congruent. So what does that look like? Well, today we're going to be speaking to you about theories of behavior and some models of behavior change. Um, so that should be hopefully quite interesting. Then t- uh, tomorrow, not tomorrow, then for the next episode, we're going to be looking at theories of motivation and breaking some of those down and explaining, you know, where motivation comes from, how it exists and things like that. In uh, our third episode, we're going to look at the role of coaching and reflect on how coaching can help people uh, potentially look to change their behaviours and, and to some extent change their ways of working in the workplace um, and address things like motivation. So episode three on coaching. Episode four, we're going to be looking at goal setting and theories of goal setting, which is obviously an important factor of behaviour and behaviour change. Um, episode five is going to be about Habituation, which is really all about creating habits that stick. Um, You know, once something's a habit, you're more likely to do it, and that behavior becomes more consistent. And then the last episode of a series, episode six, is going to be trying to look for some really, you know, practical, real-life examples of how people are um, managing their behaviors, Um, maybe with some, uh, some guests to speak about experience in their sectors and things like that. So that's, that's, uh, that's it. That's series three in a nutshell. So I guess what we really love is that if you are interested in how to change your own behaviours or how to uh, enable behaviour change in the people around you and support it, um, we'd love if you walk away having listened to all of these episodes thinking, I know what I can do. Yeah. I know some things I can try that will help me help other people totally. to uh, change their behaviours. Because I've got to be honest, 
the most powerful and the most enabling things I've done in my career have come about because I've looked to change my behaviour. Yeah. Skills and knowledge is important, it's useful and absolutely crucial in certain in certain parts of my working life. But it's the stuff where I've changed my behaviours that are just revelatory. It's to really me. fairly transformational if you do it in a good way. Yeah, I, it's funny, isn't it? I try to avoid the word transformational because okay. I, no, no, because I know it feels it, it if you haven't been through the process, it can feel really um Emperor's New Clothes selling. Yes, it can. Uh, it can. So I ch is the only only metaphor I can think. And if that doesn't make sense to people beyond Europe, <laughs> read Hans Christian Andersen. Is it, Hans it must be Hans Christian Andersen. I'm not sure. I'm anyway, not sure. it's a fable about uh, trying to flog ideas that are more than they uh, that seem more than they are. Yes, 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 yes. And but it is. It fundamentally changes the way you view the world yeah. and the way you do things. Yeah. And interestingly, later on, you're going to be speaking about streaking. So I think maybe that'll fit in with the Emperor's New Clothes. I'm, well. I'm going to be talking about streaking before everyone gets excited or, <laughs> or horrified, actually. Uh, streaking in the context of habit forming. I'm going to yes. just talk about some very basic transformation, uh, behavior change stuff that um, I use. And then we'll, we'll go on to talk about it in more detail in the habituation pro, uh, episode, I think. Yeah. Cool. So it's creating streaks of good behaviour. It's not about taking your clothes off. That is not necessarily appropriate. Yeah, who, who thought that the emperor's There are a couple clothes. of industries where that is appropriate. Not many. Yes. Cool. Okay, so that's what we're doing. So it's kind of exciting to have a, a theme for the uh, series. So quite excited about that. Um, in terms of the episode, we're going to be um, doing what we usually do, right? So uh, straight into some definition discussion and a research roundup and a list of a week some stories from the keyboard, from our experience in the workplace, a couple of final thoughts, and then a bit of a check-in and check-out. As ever, um, we're posting stuff onto our website. You can go there and download some um, some content if you like. Yeah, there's some really, really useful things on there, and we'll be doing the Wow Mail. Uh, nice to see a number of you subscribed to that, so yeah, thank that you very much. Yeah, we could, could both, call that out. Both an good. absolute pleasure, and also put some real... Uh, pressure now that, that that number of people subscribers is growing yeah, to put impetus. out really good content which is great so yeah. thank you for helping me um, <laughs> yes. get focused uh, but yeah we'll be popping some stuff into the mailing as well yep so um www.thewowpodcast.org you can sign up to the newsletter there and the, always the wow mail. please 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 we love to hear from you on twitter linkedin uh, we've also got a facebook page but uh if you want to get talking to us then we would love to hear what you think of the content yeah and any questions you've got. Because some of this stuff was new to us too, right? Yeah. We were exploring it. So we're really interested. Yeah. Cool. All right. Do you want to run us through some definitions? Huh? Yeah. Let me um, let me kick us off with uh, some definition. Now, on the, I would, would just say, I'm not going to go through all of the ones that are on the slide. So yeah. I would encourage you, if there's terminology that we've come across during the, during the session, uh, during the podcast today, and you don't understand it, it may well be that it's already defined in... Uh, on the slides or in the website, but I'm going to pick out the ones that I think are really, really important to frame this conversation. So one is from study.com on behavior, and it, the definition that they uh, they use is, in psychology, behavior consists of an organism's external reactions to its environment. Other aspects of psychology, such as emotions, thoughts, and other internal mental processes, don't usually fall under the category of behavior. So sometimes I think it's really important to define what it's not as well as yeah, what it is. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, definition. So I also want to pick up on, we talk about motivation, um, and I've picked out one from psychology and society, and I've picked out quite a lot of stuff from psychology because ultimately behavioural change sits alongside the field of economics and psychology, yeah. and it's quite often, it's come out of some of 
uh, some of the area of economics because of nudge and the nudge yeah, unit and the, the government, which we'll talk about, it's been popularised. Yeah. But ultimately, it has its roots in psychology, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, really yeah. important to understand that. So, motivation is an internal process that directs and maintains behaviour. Motivation is an internal process that can cause someone to move towards a certain goal. Sure. There's a whole load of issues with the way they've conflated all of those terms, but ultimately, uh, in order to change behaviour, you need motivation to do it. Yeah. Um, two others. One I want to pick up is nudging. Because um, we might mention this at various points, nudging became all the thing, all the thing recently, um, particularly since about 2008 when Thaler and Sunson promoted their book Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth and Happiness. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to go straight to them for their definition, which is uh, a nudge, as we will use the term, is any aspect of the change architecture that alters a people's alters people's behaviour in a predictable way without forbidding any objects, uh, without forbidding any options or significantly changing their economic incentives. To count as a mere nudge, the intervention must be easy and cheap to avoid. Nudges are not mandates. Yeah. Putting fruit at eye level counts as a nudge, banning junk food does not. So what we're really talking about is getting people to want to change easily rather than forcing them to. Yeah, yeah. It's not a nudge if you change the rules, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, a nudge, yeah. that's just forcing people yeah, yeah, to change. Yeah, it's, it's little it's about quick things using, that are Yeah, and it's using people's uh, ultimate motivations for their own good. So they yes. might want to do something, yes, but it just yes, may yes. seem too difficult. It's sort of facilitating of these types of things. That's exactly, yeah. exactly right. Uh, and then uh, the last one I want to pick up on is intervention by the Cambridge Dictionary, because I think it's really useful. Uh, an intervention is an action taken to become intentionally involved in a difficult situation in order to improve it or prevent it from getting worse. Yeah, okay. Okay, and I think it's really important to understand intervention is about intention. Yeah. And it's about uh, it's about how we get involved in things that aren't easy. Because it's really easy for a lot of things to change. This is about stuff that isn't it's stubborn behaviors yeah. quite often yeah. is where we look at stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of sort of intervention work in areas of things like medicine and things like that, which is worth um, keeping in mind. So, you know, a lot of work comes out of that, but in the workplace, um, we'd maybe design interventions in a different in a different way. Yeah. Cool. So those are kind of there are other, you know, we run through things like um, Influence, environment, we talk about opportunity and capability, and I think they're all worth having a look at. But for me, those are the four that are really important uh, to understand what we're talking about. You need to understand what is behaviour, the role of motivation in changing behaviour, uh, what nudging is and how you can uh, start to use it, and also what an intervention is. Cool. So probably the best place to start, as always. James, do you want to give us a bit of a research roundup? I would love to. I oh. love research. Should I tell you what I'm going to run through today? That would be great. All right. So I'm going to start with something called dual process theory, which is actually a theory of um, thinking. It's, it's a reflection on how humans think. I think it's an interesting place because obviously the way we think to some extent shapes our behaviours. Uh, then I'm going to go from that into a fairly old model of behaviour, which is from Kurt Lewin. A 1936 model, but I think it's really interesting and, and useful as a starting point. Um, then I'm going to jump forward to uh, this century and run through a model from UCL, which is called the Behaviour Change Wheel. And the Behaviour Change Wheel is interesting because it's both a theory of behaviour and what affects or determines an individual's behaviour, but it also brings in some thoughts around interventions and intervention functions and some behaviour change tools that people can use to try and influence behaviours. And then I'm going to touch on ethics, because I think ethics is really important in this area, and I know it's something that we'll reflect on over the series. 
Um, and that, for me, is the end of our research roundup. Don't like a plan? Sounds great. Let's get started. Let's do it. Okay. So, dual process theory. This is actually one of my favorite little nuggets of information that's out there. Um, and dual process theory comes from, uh, originates quite a while ago, but it's actually been popularized in the behavioral economics world in the same way that, um, that things like Nudge have brought some of the psychological aspects of these things to life. Uh, particularly, um, Danny Kahneman's done some work on it. Um, what dual process theory says is that humans actually have, broadly speaking, two different streams of thought or two different ways of thinking. And certainly in Danny Kahneman's work, he refers to them as system one and system two. Um, other people use different language for it. So humans have a system one for thinking and a system two for thinking, and they do different things and behave in slightly different ways. System one is the evolutionarily older system. It's, it's, you know, it's been around for a long time. And fundamentally, it's, it's quite unconscious. It's sort of autopilot. You know, you do things without really thinking of them. You make decisions. You use a whole lot of shortcuts in the ways that you think about things. And, and you're just fairly automatic in, in your thinking in, and in your decision making. So that's system one. Um, it's, it's a quick process. You think of things really quickly. You make decisions quickly. And it doesn't take much effort. However, it's got some flaws. Um, system two is a much more evolutionarily modern way of thinking. Um, and, and this is, you know, much more of a, a frontal cortex of a brain and really active as a thinking process. Um, and it, it leads to probably more considered decisions, uh, but it's, it takes a lot of effort. You, you know, this is when you're focusing, um, you're applying a lot of effort to making your decision, and, and it's a slow process. It's logical, it's rational, it tends to get some pretty good outcomes, but it's fairly slow. So those are over two different processes that, that humans have for thinking. And of course, our behaviors are to some extent affected by our thinking. Some of our behaviors are a result of considered thinking from system two. Um, but a whole lot of human behavior is actually as a result of sort of unconscious reasoning and unconscious decision coming out of system one. So I just thought that was an interesting starting point to get people thinking about where some of our, our thinking and behavior comes from. So moving on, one thing I want to say is, you know, we're going to be speaking about behaviors and we're going to be speaking to some extent about changing behaviors. So I just wanted to call out that people think about sort of the argument of nature and nurture in relation to human characteristics and, and sort of behavioral traits and things like that. Um, and for our purposes, we're going to kind of ignore that argument or we're going to totally ignore that argument and just say that a lot of behaviors for humans are a result of learned things in their lives and, and are things that we can change. So nature and nurture can take place somewhere else as a discussion as far as I'm concerned for the moment. And that kind of means we're going to also shelve the whole plasticity of personality. So there's yeah. a whole debate that's going on and lots of research around what level of plasticity do we have around our personality, how much does it change? Yeah. Uh, which kind of underpins some of this behaviour stuff. Again, huge debate, get into it, no doubt we'll talk about it another time, but for now this is focused on very much what you can do and what you can Absolutely. learn to try and do things that you want to change. Yeah, yeah, it's about understanding where your behaviours come from, what shapes your behaviours mm -hmm. and what you can do to, to try and influence them and change them if you wish. So, Model number one. Model number one is an equation. Yeah, happy days. We love an equation. I, it's like my favourite. Yeah, we do, we do. And guess who it's from? It's from Kurt Lewin. Yay! I'll pin up. Yay! <laughs> um, I found out this week that Kurt is actually the 18th most cited psychologist of the 20th century. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't really having, know. Having <laughs> recently passed my research methods, my first question is, who's 18th? 
He's decided he's 18. <laughs> well, and yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how's the data being collected? Uh, yeah, who and knows? And decided in what? Who knows? Anyway, he's more popular than I thought he might have been. I'm not surprised at all. Um, he's he's also got quite a distinctive name. He does have a distinctive name and a distinctive look. Maybe, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah. We've totally got to put that. Yeah, up we'll, we'll put that up. We'll tweet. We'll tweet pictures of Kurt to people. Um, okay. So, so anyway, he had a uh, behavior equation from 1936, and on the face of it, it's really, really very simple. But I think it's worth reflecting on because it draws out some things that were um, at the time maybe not considered as common knowledge. And like a lot of great models, it seems like perfect common sense once you know about it. But you know, at the time, it wasn't. So his equation is b equals f bracket p comma e. Lovely, close bracket. Um, and really all he's saying there is that uh, an individual's behavior is a function of them as a person, P, and their environment, right? So, so the real step forward in thinking in this model is that it's not just an individual that affects their behaviors, but their environment affects them. So, you know, individuals affect their environment and environments affect the individuals. And that sort of messiness of the interaction between the individual and their environment shapes their behaviors. So it, it seems really simple and it seems really obvious. When, when you drill into it, um, P is a little bit more complicated than it first appears. So P as person actually includes the entirety of that person, including their past, their present, Things like their expectations of the future, their personality, their capabilities, their motivations, their desires, all this kind of stuff. Um, so, so it's quite broad, uh, a broad base of, of uh, personal traits captured in P. Um, and the E for environment includes um, things like their physical environment, but also things in there can, can be brought in from their social environment and the context that they're operating within. So behavior is a function of a person and the environment. And some of the really important things that came out of this really was the idea that an environment affects an individual. Now, from this model, what you can see is that you can see that the same person will behave potentially or exhibit different behaviors in different environments. So me in one environment will behave one way and me, the exact same me in a different environment, may behave in a different way. And that's quite powerful because that means that one can change an environment and that through changing an environment, you change the behaviours of an individual. And it's also, I think it's a really useful way of both giving you some kind of explanation and also giving you a watch out clause for when your behaviour changes and you can't quite put your finger on why. Yeah. And the example I would give is when you go back to family reunions, right? Totally. You will behave one way at work and then you will go home and you will find yourself behaving yeah, yeah. and responding to that environment yeah. in a completely different way. And... Uh, Look, it doesn't. It doesn't. The, the equation doesn't necessarily help you change that, yeah. but it does help you understand that it's not necessarily uh, a failing of yours. You are somewhat programmed to behave and respond in, to certain environments. Yeah, ways. your environments affect your behaviours totally. Um, and just in, in the same way that the same person behaves differently in different environments, um, almost the inverse of that's true. Which means that me as a person, as I evolve and change, I will behave in different ways in what is, you know, physically or socially the exact same environment. So me in an environment today will behave differently to the me that would have been in that exact same environment, say, 15 years ago. Um, so the, the, the duality of influence between my life story and me as a person and my environment um, and the fact that both of those things affect behavior is uh, an important starting point, I believe, in understanding behavior. So simple model, really simple equation, but pretty helpful. Um, okay. So let's jump on from Kurt's behavior model to something a whole lot more contemporary. So 
I'm going to look at a, a piece of work now from UCL in London. And I actually picked this that's up. University College London. Yeah, University College London, yeah. that's right. Um, and I actually picked this up. I went on one of their summer school programs on behavior change two or three years ago now. Um, and a lot of the, the course was based around this model, and I, I quite like it. So this is the, uh, a model called the Behaviour Change Wheel. And it does a couple of different things. It, it's a wheel that's three concentric circles. In the centre of the wheel, they've got a green circle. Again, check out our slides. Um, they've got a green circle, which is a kind of theory of behaviour, and it talks about what are the factors that contribute to a behaviour. Then, um, the sort of midsection of the wheel, so the next circle out, is a series of intervention functions. So these are the types of things that you could build into an intervention that would allow you to attempt to modify or influence behaviours. So each one of those uh, intervention functions would act on one of the behavioural functions in the inner circle in an effort to sort of modify it or reduce deficiencies in it or you know whatever phrasing you want. And then the outer section of the behavior change wheel, so, you know, I guess the tire of the wheel, is a series of policy categories. And, and these are things that, you know, um, states could do to some extent at a policy level to try and uh, influence uh, the, the broader um, system that they work in to, to modify behaviors. Now, this is, in this model, designed as a roughly a sort of governmental type policy structuring, but these... Uh, these policy categories could work in large organizations as well. But we're going to not spend too much time on that. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking at the very center of the wheel. So this is their sources of behavior. Um, and actually, just before I do that, I'll say the behavior change wheel is actually itself a synthesis of 19 other behavior change models. So what they did is they went and they looked at who describes behaviors, what they like, and, and uh, tried to combine them into um, a, a, single, a single view that they thought was evidence-based and, and, um, and helpful. So what they came up with for their sources of behavior was three broad categories. And they said that behavior is a function of an individual's capability, their opportunity, and their motivation. Right? So, so these are the things that, that are there. So one, what are my motivations? Two, what are my skills and abilities? And three, what opportunity do I have to exhibit behaviors? Um, and they express this as uh, the phrase calm B. So capability, opportunity, and motivation equals behavior. Now, there's actually a little bit more detail to this. So if we look at something like motivation, they talk about, you know, what's my automatic motivation and what's my reflexive motivation? And this kind of links into some of the, the dual process work around system one and system two. So automatically, what do I want to do? And if I step back and reflect on something, what do I want to do? System one thinking, system two thinking. So motivations um, split that way. Capability then has a couple of different components as well. So within capability, we've got my physical capability. What can I actually do? What are my uh, you know, physical abilities? Um, and also psychological capability. So that's about you know, my emotional ability to do things and process and behave in certain ways, uh, regulate and things like that. And then under opportunity, opportunity splits as well. So opportunity's got two subcomponents. It's got physical opportunity. So within my perhaps built environment or my office space, um, what are the things that I have an actual opportunity physically to do? And then social opportunities for last piece here. So within the social framework that I'm working in, what social opportunities do I have? What permissions do I have? What rights, what obligations, things like that. So the, the coming together of those capabilities, opportunities, and motivations will 
determine or heavily influence the behaviour that I, I undertake in any one of those um, situations that comes up. So that's the starting point for their model. And then what they say is, um, let's move on from understanding what determines a behaviour and start to look at how we can create an intervention that helps us um, attempt to influence the behaviours of an individual or a population of people. And here they call out um, a series of intervention functions. They've got nine intervention functions. And what they say is that each one of these intervention functions has an ability to fundamentally address a deficit in one of your uh, sources of behavior. So the intervention functions actually map through to the sources of behavior. I'm not going to go through how they map, but you can find this information um, in other places if you want. Um, but if we start, uh, oh, well, I'll read through the list of the nine, then I'll reflect on a couple of them. So the intervention functions are education. So you can educate people, which will, to some extent, change their sources of behavior. You can persuade people. You can incentivize people. You can coerce people. You can train people. You can enable people. You can do some modeling. Uh, you can do environmental restructuring. And you can introduce restrictions. Um, and those are the intervention functions that they say can be used in different combinations to modify the sources of behavior. So if we take something like um, education, education could be a powerful tool. Education could um, modify an individual's reflective motivation. Um, it could also, through maybe physical education or um, you know, sort of emotional education, modify an individual's physical capability or their psychological capability. So as an intervention function, education would act on those sources of behavior. And each one of those nine intervention functions has an ability to act on the underlying um, source of behavior in different ways and in different combinations. Um, so they're, they're important as intervention functions if you're looking to design a suite of uh, initiatives to change behaviors in certain ways. Uh, then the outer ring is policy categories, and I'm not going to spend too much time on these. I'm just going to read them, um, and you can look at them in, in your own time if you'd like to. So their policy categories are environmental and social planning, communication and marketing, legislation, service provision, regulation, fiscal measures, and guidelines. Right, And those are all sort of policy level things that you can do to look to address, um, I guess, sort of populational behavior. Um, and in addition to these intervention functions, the Behaviour Change Wheel actually has a, a bit of a supplement. It's got a series of um, 16 items that it, that it raises as a Behaviour Change Toolkit. And these are specific things that people can do to look to change um, behaviours. And the 16 items are, firstly, goals and planning. So goals and planning are a tool um, that can fit within some of your intervention functions as an effort to, to change behaviour. Um, number two is feedback and monitoring. Number three is social support as a way to change behavior. Number four is shaping knowledge. Number five is natural consequences. Number six is a comparison of behaviors, so I guess sort of benchmarking. Number seven is creating associations. Um, number eight is repetition and substitution. Nine is comparison of outcomes. Ten is reward and threat, which obviously links into incentivization and coercion within your intervention functions. Um, number 11 is regulation, number 12 is some uh, antecedents, number 13 is around identity, number 14 is having scheduled consequences to behavior, number 15 is self-belief, and number 16 is covert learning. 
So V16 behavior change uh, tools um, can be used in, in a mixture of ways to create interventions to change your own behavior or to, to create sort of intervention initiatives in an effort to influence the behaviors of others. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about this, they actually have an app that you could look at. It's called the BCT Taxonomy app. You can grab it, um, certainly on iTunes. I think it's on, um, on uh, Android as well. So BCT Taxonomy, that's the Behavior Change Toolkit Taxonomy. And it details something like, you know, 93, I think, specific change tools that, that could be used across these um, 16 toolkit categories. So, so that's a bit of a, a messy description of something that's quite complicated, but hopefully it gives you a bit of an insight into, um, I guess, the relationship between sources of behavior in the center of a wheel and the ways that you can look to influence those sources through a series of intervention functions and a series of tools. Uh, what do you think? Speechless. Oh, no, I'm not speechless. I just, I just, I think, um, I think it's a really useful wheel. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know how I feel about the toolkit bit, the 16. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's a supplement piece. Yeah. It's a really interesting supplement piece. And quite often I feel like supplement pieces are added to theoretical models when people don't feel that they are directional enough. It, it's certainly practicalizing. Is that yeah, and I'm not, I'm not convinced how much I believe there's evidence next to that toolkit sure, or how okay. much this is we this is how we'd like you to do it potentially yeah um and it's difficult isn't it because i know that a lot of ucl work feeds into a lot of governmental work absolutely and so therefore i'm always looking at this with a lens of what are you trying to get us to do and where is it where have they had to or where have they been asked to make modifications based on government policy and oh, that's a really harsh thing and i yeah, know yeah, it's yeah. a really strong academic piece um but i i yeah i find it difficult uh how what do i think about it I think it's really good. It's really hard for me to say. I don't think it's a it really is good, good isn't really it? useful model. It is. It's, it calls out to lots of things I see as challenges. I actually use the two inner circles quite regularly um, in my coaching for myself yeah. to prompt me to think, am I really thinking about all the different ways that I could suggest these people further what they're doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's sort of your intervention design. And, and I kind of have a different, you mentioned the, 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 the policy stuff. Yeah. I have a different list that's really similar, but this, the grey list helps me, the, the policy list of things helps me think about the different ways that I can encourage change in people. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, that's got a whole load of ethical issues, which is why I'm kind of yeah pausing for a moment because I think um, it's always a sign of how good a tool is when I start thinking about the ethics of it because it means it works, right? Well, so yeah, we're going to talk at some point in the future about goal setting, I know, in relation to all this stuff. And there's a massive ethical debate about that. There's only an ethical debate because it works, yes. right? There wouldn't be an ethical debate about some of these psychological tools. Um, yeah, there'd models, be no debate, right? Right? No one cares. Yeah, exactly. So you go and play with yourself. It's really in the interesting. The ethical debates come out when you start to see them working yeah. and not necessarily always in the way that you intended or recognizing they have repercussions. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, I don't know. I feel a bit Jedi like. I feel like I kind of should say, yes, it's really good. And in my experience, I see how this is helpful, how it is useful, and how people can change behavior based on it but then yeah. it begs a question right which i think you'll probably well yeah so mention, yeah right? the next thing that i wanted to touch on was ethics and and you know i guess for me just because one learns ways that one can try and influence the behaviors of others it does not in any way to me mean that one should try and do that you know who am i to some extent to change the behaviors of others and and for me this 
this sort of decision-making process gets complicated because somebody will say, well, surely we should change some of these behaviors if it's for a good reason. And then the question is, well, who defines what that good reason is? Who defines what the socially right outcome is? And it gets a little bit complicated and a little bit messy. So I guess for me, it comes back to intentionality um, and, and awareness and mindfulness of what you're doing. And if you're involved in trying to create behavioral change initiatives, the one thing I'd say that, that you really should do is you should look yourself in the mirror and decide if your intentions are benevolent. Um, or, if, or if you're trying to do things that maybe you're less benevolent. And just be clear in your own conscious. And I think that's all I was going to say about that ethics piece. Yeah, and I would just add on to that. If you look yourself in the mirror and you decide your intentions are genuinely benevolent, then think about the ramifications that are unintentional. Yes. So yes, there yes, are yes. things that could happen that could be completely unintentional. So for, I'll give you a really practical example. Something I think about coaching all the time is quite often I'm asked by organisations to help people think about their longer term career. Yeah. And there will come a point in that conversation where longer term becomes medium term and short term. And there is, uh, then people may start to uh, consider, oh, am I, have I run out of time? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so for those who are listening, that noise means, uh, Jane, uh, you're probably talking a bit too much. But... Um, Effectively, I guess the thing around is you may still have the best of intentions, but there may be unintended consequences to what you do. Yeah. And so you may then, so for example, you might help a colleague think about their career in a longer term, but that colleague may then start thinking, well, hang on, is this the right job for me now? Yeah. Uh, th- th- where do you sit on that? Where's your loyalty to the person or to the organisation, right? Yeah. So, knock on. And there's loads of knock-on effects in other ways. I think there's a really, there's a really fabulous example, uh, which I might try and put up on Twitter, actually, which is about behaviour change when people... Um, with the best one in the world, you build a pavement for them to go around the grass to sort of oh, walk yeah, on it, yeah, and then yeah. they walk it's straight across great, it because it's video just or a great not picture. what people do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and actually, what they've done is by encouraging people to go a certain direction, they've almost done it, but not quite. Yeah. And then they've ended up ruining the grass. And I'll put it up to explain it, but it's really helpful. It's yeah, about it's um, understanding how you go about things, why you do it, and then also just making sure, just checking in with yourself why you're doing it. Is yeah. this re- do you really want to change other people's behavior because it helps them? Or yeah. is it a little bit because it helps you? Or is there mutual? Mutual yeah, is fine. Yeah, that's true. But just be honest about it. Yeah. And I guess the very last thing is just to remember that, you know, those of you that we're speaking to now are learning how to influence the behaviours of others. And the world is full of people who want to influence other people's behaviours. So all around you, there are efforts to influence your behaviours. And, you know, that's just life. Oh, but- man. If I, could, if I could say one thing to everybody listening, take the model. And every time you see the government announce an initiative or a change, think about what are they trying to change people's behaviours to do. Because yeah. ultimately, governments would far rather you changed your behaviour than they had to force you to. It's more expensive, right? You yeah, have to regulate yeah. it. Yeah. Far better to get you to do it by little prompts and yeah. helping you. Yeah. So just, just be aware of that. And, be yeah, conscious yeah. Of it. and signage and you know built environment structure. Yeah, and the other thing I would say is, uh, government have this? Helpful. So does every marketing and communication agency and organisation yeah. ever. So if people are trying to make you buy things, They'll be use a aware lot of these they understand functions. that totally. a lot of these interventions are around that. Yeah, 100%. Okay. All right, so list of the week. Do you want to run us through the list of the week? Oh, list of the week this week is a total cheat. Is it? Because it's more research. Uh, but it's one of my favourite, favourite models. Um, it's used in, uh, particularly, we use it quite a lot in sport. Uh-huh. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I work quite a lot with sports organisations who are trying to encourage more people to take it up yeah. uh, with physical activity and running and things like that. Anyway, 
Um, it's a model from 1986, Prochaska et al. And it has six, it's called the Trans Theoretical Model, as far as I know. Well, that's how I know it. Um, and it has six stages of behavior change. And I'm just going to run you through. So our list of six is the six stages of the Trans Theoretical Model this week. Uh, and it's really helpful, I find it, when I'm thinking about my own behavior and how I change it. So step stage one, pre-contemplation, which is when there is no intention or awareness of wanting to change behavior. Uh, stage two is contemplation. You're aware there's a problem that exists, but there's no commitment to action. And the, the way I liken this too is you're sitting on the sofa, you're conscious that uh, you haven't got off the sofa, uh, but you're aware that there's people on the so on the telly who yes. are doing some exercise, and you're like, Ooh. well, you don't even you're not even at the hmm stage. You're kind right. of like, hmm, <laughs> I am conscious <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. I probably shouldn't be sitting in front of the telly. I should probably be doing things. Yeah, like there are other no, options. No reason to do it. Um, preparation is stage three. Uh, and that is where you intent on taking action. So preparation is where you've gone from a place of knowing there's a problem to actually trying to do something about it, but you haven't done it about it. And and very practically, it is the moment at which you get your phone out watching the telly and you book a gym session Fine. or you take up an offer of a free induction or you book onto a... So for me, it was the point on Christmas Eve where I pulled out my phone and I signed up for a Pilates session yeah, in cool. Edinburgh for New Year because I knew I needed to get back into it. Um, it's it, the, One of the biggest challenges with the preparation stage is uh, you might be intent on taking action, but unless someone visibly shows you a place where you can take that correct next step, you probably get stuck there. Fine, we okay. all get stuck in preparation all the time. Um, stage four action so when you actively are modifying your behavior really important to understand what that means uh, there's a great quote that i can't remember from einstein and it's about how uh if you do the same thing you get the same results right so if you keep doing the same thing and keep trying to crack the nut the same way and it don't crack it's probably because you need to do something different to get a different result so uh the word that i really want to highlight in that stage four is active modification of behavior you need to do something different to get a different result sure um, it's also really important that if you end up back at that stage because uh, you're in a loop, uh, that you keep trying to do something different. Don't keep yeah, doing it the yeah, same yeah, way. Yeah. And Einstein said something about like idiots, doesn't he? Says yeah, he like... might have done. I will try and look it up. Um, in fact, I, I will look it up because it's really important that yeah. I remember this correctly. But ultimately, Einstein tends to be right about a lot of things. Uh, stage five, maintenance. Sustained change uh, when new, new behaviour replaces the old. It's the point at which you can say to people and look them in the eye and say, yeah, I'm back at the gym. Um, James has just very kindly put point of view, uh, put Einstein's quote, and it's not about idiots. No, I just... It's I, even worse I, I than that. I projected it. It's uh, insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. He's harsh, but he's got a point. So uh, the maintenance is stage five. Uh, and then stage six, and, and it's interesting that it's a stage, is relapse, okay? So it, it's acknowledging that it happens quite a lot. So relapse is falling back into all patterns of behavior. So for example, not going to the gym for a protract protracted yeah. period of time. And I think um, it's, it's really important that relapse stage is in there because actually for me, it is a constant moving through these last four stages. Um, yeah. So there was a period where I didn't really exercise ever for health, it was purely for enjoyment. Um, then when I did, I kind of constantly moved between preparation, action, maintenance, and relapse, right? It's, and, and a lot of it's weather-based. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I enjoy I enjoy hill walking. <laughs> really hard to get up the uh, get up the enthusiasm in a wet sort of windy day. Yes. I don't mind the winter. I don't mind the summer. Autumn is an absolute de a deal breaker for yeah. me if it's pouring with rain. 
So it's about an acknowledgement of that and then going back and thinking, okay, so what can I do differently during those periods of time to ensure that I keep up the habit yeah. of behavior change? Yeah. So I like it. It's useful. Um, and it's really important to know that you learn every time you go through it, right? Yeah. It's, it's not quite iterative, but it, it feels like... Well, they talk about the upward spiral, right? Okay. So every time you uh, go through a lapse or a relapse, um, you learn. Yeah. So as long as you go back and change, modify, then you will keep learning until eventually yeah, you get it right. Yeah. And I guess... Maybe you relapse a little bit less frequently or to a slightly lesser extent each time. So that's part of the Well, I, the, the, the way I would describe it is I get better at relapsing, right? Yeah. So yeah. every time um, I fall off uh, the wagon of my gym going, mm -hmm. I know which things I love enough yeah. that I will spend the money on. So, for example, the most expensive thing I do is going to the Pilates place that I go to. Mm -hmm. The cheapest thing I do is hill walking. But I know in bad weather that the hill walking ain't going to cut it. So I am conscious that I will put aside a bit more of my finances yeah. to be able to buy my way out of the problem. Yeah, because I, I know that if I pay the money to go and do the sessions, I will A, go and do them because they're really expensive, but also I really love it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So that's a lesson that you learned. So it's a real point. lesson that I learned that I will, I, it's very rare. I'll move heaven and I'll even change work meetings to go because yeah. I really love doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, but I don't necessarily want to do it all year round. So it's, it's kind of about learning for me. I like that model. I think it's helpful, and I think it, it, that's really useful for individuals thinking about their own behaviours, either at home or in a place of work. I mean, it it's, it's kind of walks you through a way to, to plan a changes to your own behaviour. Yeah, and it absolutely, it's the model that gets used to uh, quite a lot with uh, sports coaches and professionals about how to encourage people to get back involved mm -hmm. and understanding that this is a constant process. Yeah. yeah a constant good. spiral. Yeah, and, and when you, uh, here in the UK, we've got a lot of ads for Couch to 5K. Yes. Um, that pop up and this you can see how this really so it's, it's it's astonishing how much that plays to an understanding of uh putting that tool in mm -hmm. people's hands versus people having to go and look for it is about giving them the ability to prepare yeah because actually yeah, 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 um, yeah. what used to happen a lot of the time in sport is that we understood that there was a contemplation phase where people wanted to take action mm -hmm. and we understood there was action and we didn't really understand the stage between it where people actually need to put those yeah, that in preparation place. yeah and making that easy yeah it's as easy right? yeah, so yeah. it's really hard still to um find you it, so sport versus physical activity pilates i can just book it on my phone in yeah. five minutes yeah i use paypal it's done Right, sport's actually really hard to get. In. Yeah, it's still, yeah, still a long way to go. On yeah, so Couch to 5K was a really good right way of yeah, saying, yeah, here, yeah. it's all in your hands now. Yeah, you can actually do this yourself. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So um, let's jump on and maybe look at a couple of uh, tales from a keyboard. Okay. Um, should I start one off? Or oh, you why don't you? Okay. So I guess mine is maybe not so much for my own keyboard, but just something that I thought was really interesting to do with behavior change and you know when we talk about some of the things that affect behavior um, we talk occasionally about you know sort of social perception and to some extent support from others and visibility of achievement and all those positive reinforcements that you get from being able to celebrate something uh, in a public place so humans are fundamentally social beings and we like to be recognized by other people so the thing that I'm going to touch on in, in my story is actually to do with behavioral finance which is a fascinating subject anyway it's all to do with how people choose to behave about their money. Um, and there's some really interesting dilemmas in the world about this, particularly around how do you encourage people to save responsibly for their own retirement and how do you get them to behave well with their money and invest it as opposed to, to consuming it when they don't really have it, things like debt, all kinds of good stuff. Um, but one of the things that I think is fascinating is some work around getting people to 
be better at saving, particularly people with low levels of income, where an effort to save really results in a sacrifice of a current consumption that, that might be useful. And they've done a bunch of tests in, I think it was in Kenya, around how you can help um, try and improve savings rates amongst these really poor communities. And they did a, a range of things. So they brought in things like matching. So if you save the equivalent of one US dollar, I'll give you one. And they brought in things like, um, if you uh, saved, we will send you a text message to say, well done, or whatever. So they brought in a bunch of interventions like that to try and uh, help people save more. But the one that was actually most powerful, that actually worked more than matching, which blows my mind, is that what they did is instead of um, sending you a text message or matching it, every time somebody met their savings targets, they would receive something like a, a bit of a medal or a token, something that they could share in a public space. So what you found was people living in effectively uh, huts and, and low-level accommodation would receive something that they could display sort of prominently on their mantelpiece. And what that did is it made savings a conspicuous action. So suddenly I can celebrate my saving. I can get social recognition for the fact that I've done saving. And the value of that social recognition and social interaction was so powerful that it was more important in changing people's behavior than doubling the amount of money they actually had. So in terms of a lesson, you know, using your network and using your relationships to, to really help you um, is a really powerful thing for behavior change, I believe. Well, I, I, look, it's, it's just the most fascinating thing because I think... Uh, as always, the consumer society and the commercial world figured this out ages ago yeah. with keeping up with the Joneses, right? Yeah. They played on the fact that we wanted to be show that we had earned more, could afford, had been productive enough that we totally. had this car or that house yeah. or whatever. And what this does is say, I want to advertise the fact that I could have spent that money, but actually I've chosen to do something yes, else with it. Because exactly. it's, and it's just... It, it, it's so obvious when you think about it. It is, it is. It's annoyingly obvious. Uh, yes, like right? all great things. Yeah, I know. Cool. What about you? Have you got uh, a story? Okay, so mine's about changing my own behaviour. Uh-huh. Um, as always, I like to navel gaze. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things for me was around uh, what I've learnt around my own behaviour change and what I'm prepared to change to do things. So one of the questions that I always ask myself is, what else am I prepared to do away with or do differently in my life such that I can achieve this. And the okay. example I want to give you is cycling into work. I love cycling. Uh, I'm from London. Cycling in London is somewhat challenging sometimes. Yeah. But it reconnected me with my city in a way that I just couldn't have imagined. Um, and like a lot of my changes to my behaviour, it was uh, sparked by someone else. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's about three people in my life that have consistently helped me to spot places where I should change things and do things better because it would make me happy. Anyway, um, I sat down and I, I really thought about what am I prepared to change in order to make cycling to work from happening and what is stopping me from doing it. Um, and so one of the things for me was recognising that I needed to change uh, my routine in the morning because I hated going, those of you who know London, there was this roundabout called Elephant and Castle. It doesn't exist anymore because they made it a one-way system. But at the time, it was it was literally the most dangerous place in the world to cycle. And I hated it. Mm -hmm. And I particularly hated it. Rush. I know, yeah, it's so different yeah, now. Yeah. I could just cycle across it now. It's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to avoid hitting it at lunch hour. And so actually, I, had, uh, I made a number of changes. Either I would come to work super early or I would change my morning meetings with my team. Yeah. Um, such that I could be sure that I didn't have to cycle across Russia. Yeah. And I guess the reason I'm telling you that is, and the reason it's important to understand is, I, I, I treated it like a project, right? 
I worked out what was the most like what were the days that I got on my bike without even thinking about it and it, yeah. was, it was really practical stuff it was the days that I had washed my kit right it was the days that I didn't have early morning important meetings so I wasn't going to have time to have a shower it was the days that I didn't have team meetings so that I wasn't going to meet them it was the days I didn't have to go over the roundabout so I literally looked at what are all the things that stopped me from doing it and then I systematically went through my diary and changed them yeah great and I know it sounds silly but I, I went from cycling maybe one day a week, two days a week, to going four days a week, no question. Cool. And you know what, what I kind of like about that is um, you brought in two things that are great. So earlier we talked about how environment influences behavior. And so much of that stuff was like social environment, physical environment yeah. affecting your behavior. And you looked to change some of that, which was great. Um, and in uh, an episode we did a while ago when we looked at problem solving, we talked about finding some root causes. And it looks yeah, like yeah. you spent a bit of time doing some root causes. I love it when this stuff pops up again. I know. And I think, I think you know, all of this and everything I think about always comes down to reflection. Yeah. You know, how much time does, are yeah. you willing to put into this? And I will tell you one other thing I did. I went out and spent a ridiculous amount of money, inappropriate amount of money on panniers that would keep my uh, backpack yeah. dry. And that's because, commitment as well. Because a, it is, but actually it was about the fact that I really hate having a sweaty back cool. when I cycle. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. I, it's literally the grossest thing in the world. And I was like, stuff it. I'm solving this problem yeah, in the best yeah, way I know yeah. how. That's so a I've got some great, great action, very yeah. sexy panniers. Yes. All right, um, so that's some stories from the keyboard. Any final thoughts you want to check out there? Yeah, I've got one, and, and my one is uh, really a shout-out. If you are trying to change something, tell people. Not just because of all of this stuff around checking in, mm -hmm. but also, for me, it's about um, help. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me give you a really practical example. I quit smoking. Yeah. Um, I've done it a few times, but the time it stuck, um, I told my team about it at a place yeah. that's working. Funny enough, same cycling place. This is a cycling place. And someone said to me, what can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. uh, shout, massive shout out to Naomi, Helen, Nikki, who I used to work with and were incredibly supportive when I gave up smoking, mostly because they all hated it. Mm. Uh, and Naomi said to me, what can I do to help you? And I was like, I don't know. So anyway, I had this, I, what I did was I printed out my, uh, an Outlook diary and I stuck it on the wall and I put a green tick on a day every time. And so Naomi got into the habit of saying to me, where's your green tick? And Nikki actually, all three of them did, but it was Naomi who started the habit. Mm. And it's because she was giving up uh, fizzy drinks. Okay. And uh, she said, you know, can you, where's your green tick? Can you not put it up? And it got to the point where on a Saturday night, I would be out and I would be considering having a cigarette. And all I could think was, how am I going to look Naomi in the eye on Monday and not be able to say, yeah, no I green couldn't tick. go two days. Because yeah, we weren't yeah. talking about the three months I hadn't smoked. We were just talking about two days. Yeah. And how could I not say that? So, um, for me, uh, if you see someone who's trying to uh, change their behavior, ask them what you can do to help. It makes a massive difference. Yeah. And that's your streaks, isn't it? Like, how many oh, yeah. So this is my streaks. So the streaks thing is I don't worry about uh, how many days it is since I smoked because sometimes that feels too hard. Yeah. I just worry about whether I've done it yesterday. And then I look at the evidence for streaks. So I did 30 days on the bounce. Brilliant. And I fail one day. Right. Fine. Back on the streaks. Yeah. How many days have I done? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Cool. Well, um, I, I stopped smoking as well. Um, Actually, we found out the other day we basically stopped smoking on the same day, didn't we? Yeah, that's so... Totally, I mean, totally I don't weird. think it's actually that unusual because I think a lot of people use New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah, a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but just yeah, funny. Like, I didn't even year. know you. Same year, same day, yeah. all that we kind of stuff. We were both making the same decisions. Yeah. Probably in a similar way. Anyway, so so my, my final thought or top tip is um, also actually smoking related. And, and it it's about the power of the environment, particularly your social environment. So I sort of cut down on my smoking and done the relapse thing for a long time. Um, and gotten better. And what I ended up doing when I when I really successfully stopped smoking was changing my environment. And for me, a lot of that was my social environment. So I spent about six months 
where I didn't see a lot of people who um, who actually smoked, right? And I changed that social environment, changed my physical environment, and that enabled me or made it much easier for me to stop smoking. Um, so I think for me, you know, a final thought or top tip is to really reflect on the power of the environment that's around you. Yeah, it's astonishing I, 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 on that one. It's yeah. just really interesting for me. So I don't, those of you who don't know, um, Scotland banned smoking oh, yeah, yeah. in public places a year before England. And I used to come up to Scotland before I lived here quite a lot because I had family here. And I remember coming up here and wishing England would do it. Yeah. Because I could not believe... I watched people standing outside of pubs and I thought, I won't do that. I hate the wind. If someone bans it in pubs, there is absolutely no way. It will, my smoking will drop. And instantly, even though I was still smoking at that point, uh, my consumption of cigarettes probably went down by half. Yeah. Because I just... people. Someone had forced me into a situation where... But it was a force I wanted to happen. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting yeah. where you, uh, as, as HR professionals particularly, where you think about how do you create an environment that people want you to create yeah. to help them keep their habits. You know what, what's interesting is actually, I'm just going to touch on this before we finish up. If we go back to that behavior change, Will, what's happened there is you ended up with a policy category around legislation yeah. as an outer ring. So legislation is the policy category in an effort to change behavior. And that led to some intervention functions around um, opportunity and particularly restrictions. So that restricts where you can do things. And that then uh, at the intervention level is for restriction, sorry. And then when you go down to your, your sources of behavior, that affects your both physical and social opportunity. And that's what changes yeah. some of your behavior. But so I think what's really, really important to understand is generally regulation only works where people want to change already. So there has to be a pre you have to be at the contemplation stage. Yeah. And that's what's really interesting. When you try and force change, it doesn't work unless there's an underlying want to change. Yeah. And that leads into some of the motivation factors in your Well, um, I think and that's why I think smoking's such an interesting one, because I think the 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 awareness if they had tried to do that where I was ten years earlier, it probably wouldn't have worked for me. Yeah. So uh, there will have been loads of people who were at different stages who it went yeah. to work for. It just, it worked. It helped me. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's some final thoughts and top tips. I think that's us. Yeah, I feel like I've shared, I feel like I've been through a terrible yeah, session. Yeah, we've Sorry done a lot that. of sharing, a lot of sharing. Um, but you know what? This stuff, it, it, it all affects us in our workplace, right? Yeah, it's all real stuff, you know? It really is. Okay. Cool. Well, let's, let's uh, get ready to get out of here. If you want to check out the slides, you can check them out. Um, and we'll, of course, have like a blog post up on the website. And send us a tweet, tweet us. Yes, and we will make sure that we put uh, put some of the content, particularly Einstein's quote, up on <laughs> yeah, we'll Twitter. Yeah, we'll try and get it right. So if you want to get in touch with us and find that, you can tweet us at the Wow Podcast. Okay, so I guess that's us for this week. That's uh, us for this week. We will be moving on through our Series 3, which is all themed around behaviour, next time you hear from us. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Have a good week, guys. Take care, everyone. Bye. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.